Welcome back to Scarlet and Maze. I'm Adam. I'm Zach. What's up? Uh, Michigan 29, Michigan State Prison. I mean, seven. We'll just jump right in. Uh, this is a quote from the visiting coach from the Michigan-Michigan State game, Zach. Mm-hmm. I think I was aware that something had happened, but I'm not fully aware. So, video has obviously come out from the Lloyd Carr Tunnel at Michigan Stadium. Multiple incidents of MSU players ganging up on individual Michigan players after the game. That quote that I shared, you know who said that? Um, you said the Michigan, Michigan, the Michigan State coach. Yeah. I said the visiting coach from the Michigan-Michigan State game. It, it actually isn't from Mel Tucker, who you can actually see, by the way, in one of the longer videos nearest the Michigan player who was getting hit by a football helmet swung by a, a Michigan State player, where Mel Tucker is walking away and punches a door on the way into the locker room. The quote is actually from 2014 when Michigan Mel Tucker, Brady Hoke, publicly apologized to Mark D'Antonio, Michigan State University, and the decency of all mankind for... Linebacker Joe Bolden literally planting a tent stake in the sideline as they took the field. It was picked up. It wasn't left in the field to potentially hurt someone. It was just a hilariously weak and bad way to try to fire up his team. Uh, anyways, the real Mel Tucker, or MSU's Brady Hoke, who, again, is on video near at least one of the assaults on Michigan players in the tunnel, said in his postgame press conference that he was unaware of the incidents that took place. Just another parallel. It's like... I'm reliving some things. When you say he was near it. He was aware of at least something that had gone on. He said he was completely unaware and would have to watch the film and whatever. Watch the, he said he hadn't seen one of the videos, which is true. He just saw it in real life. Anyway, so we're, we're a few days out now. I feel like we don't need to go frame by frame through the thing or even talk much more about what happened. But I do want to say this. A Michigan reporter, Isaiah Hole, was uh, told by eyewitnesses that one Michigan player is walking up the tunnel. Sorry, what was his name? <laughs> Isaiah Hole. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he got jumped, and then six to seven more state players went after the Michigan guy once he was on the ground. The first thing I saw about it was Chris Solari, a, uh, an MSU reporter, saying a Michigan player was on the ground getting punched and kicked, saying he was right in the middle of it. So, like, why would he lie? Like, of, of any fan base's media, Michigan State's, I, I feel – We'll get to that later. Would uh, say if a Michigan player instigated. I don't know. I don't get why he would lie. But especially when we see how MSU reporters typically responded, uh, which is seriously historically the case as well. So MSU radio personality, former beat reporter, grown man Rico Beard had one tweet starting from the beginning of the game until well after. And it was a retweet of, you want to skip all up in between our players, probably bumped into a few of our players. Then when you get hands put on you, now you want to cry. They need to get control of their players and quit worrying about ours. Quit messing with them dogs. D-A-W-G-S, because Spartan dogs, that's how they spell. Another grown man, Jim Camperoni, who might be the most popular MSU reporter, at least among state fans that I know, wrote a whole article blaming Jim Harbaugh and said he probably sent players up the tunnel early to create an incident they could blame on MSU later, which is ridiculous. Former Michigan State player tweeted out, uh, Chris Baker, he tweeted out, yeah, he deserved every cleat he tasted. Trust and believe he got off easy. So I won't go through them all because there's more and more. And I'm sorry, I know that you're already bored with it and stuff. But seriously, an alarming percentage of grown man MSU reporters tweeted out or posted different things, either blaming Michigan, 
blaming the tunnel or referring to what happened as an equal amount of wrong to go around or like a fight, a brouhaha, as if it was some uh, shoving match that we might see during a game or something. But this was the 600th game at Michigan Stadium, which has always had just one tunnel. And the very first time something like this has happened, even the ones condemning the violence are doing so with caveats. Bottom line is condemning something with caveats isn't condemning it, but excusing it or at least softening it. Also, this is not, I've seen a lot of, this is the third incident in 12 months. This isn't the, the third incident in 12 months. Against Ohio State last year, the teams were hooting and hollering and ended up yelling at each other. Oh boy, watch out. Same thing with Penn State this year. No violence, none, unless you count Penn State literally throwing peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at Michigan players' violence, which I do not. <laughs> like, that is the only physical altercation that happened. Uh, this is the first incident in which someone got physically assaulted and sent to the hospital. So don't try to soften the sh that MSU pulled by trying to insert the X-lax of something that happens in every big game, people yelling at each other with no violence at all. This is a one-of-one one situation. Last thing I want to say about the crap is uh, a quote from freshman receiver Darius Clemens from Michigan. Had 60 minutes to put your hands on somebody with zero repercussions. See y'all next year. We saw Harbaugh try to... Yeah, we, we saw Harbaugh try a trick play and a deep bomb late to try to run it up a bit. I'm excited to see Michigan pull a 2016 Rutgers on them next year and hopefully just run it up. Well, on to the actual game. What? Didn't Harbaugh lose to Rutgers one year? Or was that just before? That was pre-Harbaugh? Yeah, the, Brady Hoke lost to him once. Brady Hoke, okay. Uh, Michigan was losing to them, and that's when they benched Joe Milton and put in Cade McNamara. Gotcha. That was the game where he said, what if we went out? Huh? Yeah, and then they didn't. Well, <clears throat> no. but They chickened out of the Ohio State game that year, too. They had a serious illness going around. But on to the actual game. Oh. Blake Corum said after the game, as he sat down Wait, for his press conference. On to, the af on to the actual game, and then talk about the press conference. Well, yeah, I'll get into it. Okay. Blake Corum, sitting down for the press conference, said, I thought Tuck was coming. That's what they said all season. Tuck was coming. I just saw him running. I love Blake Corum. Uh, Blake Corum had 177 yards in this game. Michigan State finished with 252 yards. Michigan State had negative one yard of offense in the second half until their final drive that started with around six minutes left in the game. Jaden Reed was completely shut down. Keon Coleman had one good drive where he got away with one or two offensive pass interferences before Wait. Michigan shut him down. Their best running back averaged three yards a carry. Garbage results from a garbage program. So... Michigan did have some red zone issues, but I wonder if it's because they took a similar approach as they did with Iowa. That's what it seemed like to me, at least, that they thought the only way that they could lose against this bullcrap program was a bunch of turnovers, so they were content taking what the mainly too high safety defense was giving them and were fine with field goals, knowing the defense was going to not give up many points. It's not going to be ideal going into the game if that's still an issue, but Ohio State is kind of dealing with something similar, struggling in the red zone. Well, I mean, Michigan scores touchdowns on 60% of their red zone trips. Ohio State scores touchdowns on 80% of the red zone trips. They're, they're struggling, yeah. they're struggling yeah. in the red zone is all I'm saying. Uh, yeah. It'll be interesting to see if both teams can look better before their late November matchup. Anyways, Blake Corum for Heisman, unless he gets hurt. If Blake Corum gets hurt, Jake Moody for Heisman. Lou Groza award winner last year. 
just dominated on Saturday. Five for five with a 54-yarder that could have been good from 60. Each uh, passing game watching Blake Horam is just increasingly fun. The dude is fast and powerful. He can juke people in a phone booth or break tackles or carry a couple guys. What? Each passing game or each running game? Yeah. Well said, Zach. Thanks. Dang it. I should I should have changed that. Uh, imagine if he had more carries in their bad out-of-conference schedule. A couple of their early games, he had like 10 carries, 11 carries. Oh, yeah. And it's not because he was hurt or anything. They just actually play their backups, unlike some programs. But now I'm actually kind of bummed out He he doesn't have those carries because I think – he could have had – like he has a real shot as a finalist now, but if he had those freebie yards at the beginning of the year, I think he may have had more of an argument uh, if he had a few more 100 yards, a few more touchdowns, yeah. which would have been uh, possible. Unfortunately, I think Hendon Hooker is going to win the Heisman Trophy this weekend. but mm. We'll see. Yeah. That's fun. Okay, so, I mean, I don't have much of a takeaway from this game. Michigan's defense continues to impress in their run game as well, one of the best in the country, and they continue to lean lean on that. J.J. played fine, but I thought it was interesting they didn't, like, let him, like, have a chance to just let the ball rip. I did think it was interesting. It seemed like the the times that I would take notice, that I would be like, I wondered why they weren't throwing it more, too. I thought they were going to throw it a lot more. Yeah. MSU played a lot of too high safeties. It's like they were fine getting run on. They didn't want to give up a big play. I don't know if Mel Tucker was like doing a not in the face defense and just trying to keep it. I don't know. Yeah, but it I was mean, weird. Considering Michigan State's secondary, even if they are playing to stop the pass, it seems like you could still pass it if you wanted to. You know. Yeah. And I like, mean, with the success they were having running. Yeah. yeah, especially against yeah the suspect pass defense. And they thoroughly controlled the game, especially after, yeah. after the first quarter. Once it was, I mean, Michigan State was up 7-3 after the first quarter, and it was over from there. Yeah. Just from my perspective, especially in the second half, it seems like he could have just let him throw the ball three straight plays in one drive, you know? And especially when you have a 19-year-old quarterback that hasn't had a lot of experience in game where in a situation, like, go out there, even if there's 10 minutes left in the second half, Go out there and run your two-minute drill with the, with the quarterback. I mean, yeah. they, I feel like they did throw it more late. Yeah, but it wasn't <laughs> just to try to run it up. But it wasn't like one was a trick play, and yeah. it wasn't it wasn't a normal play. It wasn't a normal like go out there and run your two-minute offense. But um, because like when it comes when it comes time to like rely on his arm, he's just gonna get thrown in the fire, mm-hmm. and we're gonna find out what he's made of. And like it might not necessarily happen against the against Ohio State. I obviously think it will, but like it did last year in the playoffs, like against Georgia or maybe right. even Tennessee. Like somewhere in the playoffs, if they do beat Ohio State like handily, like they did last year, it, like you're gonna need him to make some plays downfield. And yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I, I wish he would have thrown more. But I also can't uh, complain about the results except the red zone stuff. The real test will be Illinois because their pass defense is incredible. Well, some machine will run it. Yeah, but. Yeah. Uh, Ohio State 44, Penn State 31. Yeah, JT Tumulau, that's all I have. That's all I have to say. He's pretty good. Yeah, I'm just kidding. But, I mean. He did have one good game, yeah. Um, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> um. This game was a bit scary. Like it was the first time that they um, were trailing in the fourth quarter since week one against Notre Dame. But 
I was never really even nervous in the slightest. Maybe just I was just a little worried when Penn State took the lead in the fourth, but just because of who Penn State is and who they've been under James Franklin, they tend to blow leads against the Buckeyes. I instantly think of the walk-off sack in 2014, yeah. uh, the 18 straight completions from JT Barrett and the um, wide receiver screen for a touchdown by K.J. Hill. It looks like he was going to get like five yards, and all of a sudden he goes for a touchdown and gives Ohio State the lead late. And just questionable play calling that James Franklin tends to do down the stretch. It is weird how it seems like Penn State plays them pretty close a lot. Yeah. And blows leads like, a lot. Like it's almost weird. every time. The only time that they didn't was 2016. Yeah. 2016, and they had the block punt. And yeah, or was it block? It was block field goal, wasn't it? I don't it's, remember. It's long ago. Of now, yeah. who cares? Um, I did say I did get this right. I did say Ohio State would score over 40 points for the first time against. Um, Penn State's James Franklin team and in an incredible fourth quarter they did because on the way into the fourth quarter I was like dang maybe they won't score 40 points right. and then you know um, but when I was slightly worried it wasn't like it was the play calling that was had me the most frustrated and the most worried the it was really driving me nuts the stubbornness to continue to call wide receivers screens was making me so upset now I was mad I was like Every time we ran a wide receiver screen after, like, the fourth one, I was like, what are we doing? Because mm-hmm. it was not working at all. I don't know if they ever got more than three yards on a wide receiver screen, but in the ten that they ran, they got a grand total of ten yards. It seems like mm-hmm. after the fifth one, you'd be like, well, this isn't working. I'm not going to do it anymore. I mean, it was partly, um, like, misreading what defense Penn State was in. There was a few times that they thought they were in man and they were in zone, so the defense was able to cover it better. And then there were a few times that the – wide receivers or the tight end missed blocks and it was just not executed well and yeah it just was a play that wasn't working especially when the middle of the field was wide open all game I just don't understand they were just trying to avoid it at all costs but like why not take what the defense is giving you it just didn't make sense to me for three quarters of the game they just avoided it there was one play in the first half where they threw it to Rossi the backup tight end right in the middle of the field and there was nobody within like 15 yards of him and he ran for almost a 20 yard gain I think after yeah. that guard just down the just barely down the field and ran for a good gain but yeah um that was frustrating and then there were even some other really bizarre play calls like it was third and 10 and they ran a toss to the short side of the field when the box was stacked like yeah that's not gonna work and then they also ran another one that was on third and long and they ended up getting a decent gain on the play but it wasn't enough for first down and they just kicked a field goal and I was like is James Franklin calling Ohio State's plays right I was it was frustrating but anyway obviously that worry I had when Penn State took the lead quickly died as Ohio State drove down the field in three plays and scored a touchdown then forced some turnovers scored some more touchdowns and had an incredible fourth quarter um the run game has been concerning over the past couple weeks, just rushing for 3.8 yards against Penn State, and they got a huge boost on that 41-yard touchdown run at the end of the game, and only 2.2 against Iowa per per rush. Um, But this is part of the reason why I like it when Ohio State keeps the starters in longer than most teams do, because then they can get in-game reps on things that they need to work on, and they can get some more run run plays in against Iowa, get some more run plays in against Penn State. I mean, Penn State wasn't a game where you bench your starters anyway. But um, in a small sample size, Ohio State finally was able to get the run game going in the fourth quarter, getting that 41-yard touchdown run. Um, But 
Penn State was another thing that was frustrating was Penn State was three or four on fourth down, and all three of the conversions Ohio State like could have like prevented them. There were two missed tackles. The one um, I don't remember who it was, but it was the fourth and goal one. There was a guy he. He, ha- he had him in the backfield. He didn't have him in the backfield, but he was in position to make the tackle, didn't make the tackle. Penn State scored a touchdown. There was another one that was um, fourth and short, and they had him in the back. They were in position in the backfield, didn't make the tackle. And then the third one was the lining up over the center penalty against the um, field goal, and then it right. was an easier conversion, and they went for it. It's the weirdest drive I've seen in a long time. So bizarre. And yeah. two of those fourth down conversions were on that drive. Um, yeah. But, like, those are little things that I think Ohio State needs to work on, the run game, and um, just little mistakes like that, getting, getting those cleaned up, not missing tackles. The missed tackle on that wide receiver screen by Penn yeah. State, like, those two guys both could have got him. I think the one had him, and then the other kind of gave him momentum <laughs> out of it. Yeah. So it was a little tough. But if the second guy just wraps him up, it's a tackle. But, um, yeah, so that, those are things that if they want to win a national championship, they have to fix and I'm sure that they're going to work on. Um, I will say this. Each week, this 2021 recruiting class more and more is reminding me of the 2013 recruiting class that won Ohio State won a national championship as sophomores with a lot of a lot of those players making a huge impact on that season, season including stars such as Joey Bosa, Von Bell, Eli Apple, JT Barrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Garyon Conley, Taekwon Lewis, and Darren Lee. Who? Darren Lee. <laughs> <I'm just laughs> Darren Lee was actually I'm a, not all of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Darren Lee was actually a three-star in that class, but he's, he was one of the best defensive players I had that year. Um, and that was the number two class nationally. The 2021 class was also number two nationally, including guys like Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Ibuka, Travion Henderson, JT Tuomaluau, Michael Hall Jr., Tyleek Williams, Denzel Burke, Donovan Jackson, Jack Sawyer, and Jordan Hancock have all been in on um, games this year, and a lot of them have been playing very well. And some of them could even be up for awards like Marvin Harrison Jr. and JT Tumaluau. Um, CJ Stroud, um, there was like some of the narrative I saw online was that he was struggling against Penn State and he threw for over 350 yards and had only five incompletions. Two of- they, they did mention it during the broadcast that Penn State was slowing him down the way Michigan slowed him down last year which was let him get a bunch of yards but not score. Yeah, but I think that was part of the reason was, like, Ohio State was hurting themselves with the play calling. Cause, like, the play calling was, was very weird Yeah, uh, on Saturday, not in the game. Yeah, I, it's too far back to remember if there was a play, play calling was a factor or not, but I don't, I don't immediately remember that being a factor in the Ohio State-Michigan game last year. But no, yeah. it was the blizzard that was the factor. Yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they only had He only had five incompletions, two of which were drops. Immediately after Adam says he's frustrated that Ohio State <laughs> never drops the ball. Dude, Marvison, Marvin Harrison's got to have glue on his hands or something. For real. Well, he's Dude just, is wild. He's just a freak. It's, yeah. it's funny because there were – Trying to think of the third guy. I think there was a third guy. So Marvin Harrison and Mecca Buka were both wide receivers that they got in 2021. I think there was a third guy that they got that was highly recruited. I'm not sure who it was off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure he was the third ranked guy behind Buka and behind the other guy. And uh, he was only a four star. Buka was the number one wide receiver in that class. Um, which Ibuka has been great, but not quite as good as Marvin Harrison Jr. in my opinion. But he's still been one of the best wide receivers in the country. Yeah. Um, he he had one he had one of those drops 
and I guess he spent two hours on the drugs machine after the game. Um, but what was I saying? Oh, and then the one – they had two drops, and then one of his other um, incompletions of the five was a ball that Marvin Harrison Jr. barely caught out of bounds. His toe just hit the white part mm-hmm. of the – um, sideline and uh, so it was inaccurate. No, it was actually it was actually a really tough throw that um, C.J. Stroud made scrambling. Which that's one of the things that like C.J. Stroud was so accurate in this game. Like there were some throws that were like, wow. Like if he puts it, if he's a little too high, if he's a little too low, if he throws it with a little less speed, like somebody's gonna hand on it or like the DB's gonna be able to recover. And because there were some tight windows, because Penn State was covering him good all day. Like, even Marvin Harrison Jr., like, that duo is scary. And he was being guarded for most part of that game by a first-round prospect corner. And he was getting separation, but he wasn't really getting a lot of separation. And C.J. Stroud was putting the throws on the money. And Marvin Harrison, even getting hit sometimes, he went out. He was banged up after the one play and came back in. Uh, Like, he was making tough catches all Mm -hmm. game. C.J. Stroud was making tough throws all game that were just incredible. But I gotta finish with talking about JTT because holy crap! I literally tweeted that this that that might have been the best defensive performance all season in the whole country. Uh, Then then he got the pick six after that, and I was like, wow! It was such a great play too. Yeah, he literally is frustrating for me. The tackle went to do like the chop block where you go down, so then the defensive end has to go down because he's taken out his knees, and he just took the tackle and just dribbled him off the ground, (laughs) and then immediately, like, literally all in one motion, throws him down, and then jumps up and just makes one of the most athletic plays I'd ever seen, just snags it for a touchdown. Um, Emmanuel Acho said that the greatest defensive performance he had ever seen was Ndamukong Sue in the Big 12 championship game, Mm. and he said that this was a better performance. Um, The dude finished with two sacks, Three tackles for loss, one pass breakup, which turned into an interception, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, two interceptions, and the touchdown, touchdown. one of them for a touchdown. Um, Yeah, just an incredible game by him, and a game that I thought um, I'd like to – I always like to see – it's not as fun or, like – sometimes it's it's nice to see your team go through adversity. Adversity. Jeez. Sometimes it's fun to see your team go through, through adversity and to, like, handle it well. And that fourth quarter was incredible by the whole team, and they handled it well. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not disputing anything of what you said, but my takeaway was that Franz Janklin is the second biggest fraud in the Big Ten East. <laughs> so they were winning the fourth quarter and then completely fell apart. Uh, they had their chance. But completely crapped the bit instead. JTT was obviously incredible. Yeah. Marvin Harrison Jr. is terrifying. That's all well, I, mean, I have to say about it. Like, they, they partly fell apart because of plays Ohio State was making. Like, the strip sack JTT had was in the fourth quarter. The pick six he had was obviously in the fourth quarter. No, I agree. I do think that if they if Ohio State sat back, frames would have found a way to jank it up. Yeah. That's I mean we already talked about how James Franklin blows leads in that game. Yeah. I don't know. Well, uh, it could have been a little bit of both, too. They, JTT was unreal, and yeah. I hope it's. Uh, I hope he calms down moving <laughs> forward. But uh, Scarlett May's pick standings. Yeah. I went 5-1. and one. I got the extra point because uh, I was closer in 
the Ohio State Penn State spread. Yeah. So I'm at seventy seven percent. You at four and one. You're at eighty percent. Penn State scored late to screw me. Yeah. That. Yeah. I was really glad about that. Yeah. Uh, Big Ten takeaways. Um. Illinois, are they gonna? Looks like they're gonna win the West. I it's mean, it's frustrating for me that once Illinois gets good, they're on Michigan's schedule. Yeah. Wisconsin sucks. All of a sudden, they're on Ohio State's schedule. Yeah, then the Ohio State gets Northwestern. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's gonna be so terrible. But anyways, somehow Ohio State and Northwestern have only played like they haven't played that many times. Like they've only played ten times since like two thousand four or something like that. I don't I don't like our current scheduling. And two of those were in the Big Ten championship game. Yeah. It's weird. It is weird. Uh, my Big Ten takeaway. <clears throat> Mel Tucker is a self-described horse <laughs> football coach. Michigan State is a horse <laughs> program inside of a horse <laughs> athletic department. Inside of a horse <laughs> state. Inside, no. <laughs> but just ask the physical and or sexual assault victims of Adrian Payne, Keith Appling, Mateen Cleaves, Travis Walton, Chris L. Rucker, Oren Wilson, Miles White, Malik McDowell, Austin Robertson, Glenn Winston for either of his incidents, Roderick Jenrett, Draymond Green, and I'm not just talking about Jordan Poole, uh, Demetrius Cox, Demetrius Cooper, Joshua King, Demetric Vance, Donnie Corley, Keith Mumphrey, Josh King, Brock Washington, Charles Willickis, and Luke Fulton. Lack, <laughs> lack, Zach, that is just since 2010. Just saying. Uh, and that doesn't include any of the 10 plus guys who should get in trouble for this past Saturday. Taking a step back, if that doesn't make you sad or angry, then I'm sure you'd woof at a, a response if I asked you what is your profession because you are definitely a Spartan dog for life. Ridiculous. From that to the rapid fire turd pile picks. Fantastic. Minnesota at Nebraska. Minnesota. Minnesota. Iowa at Purdue. 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 Gosh. Maryland at Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Maryland. Let's go. I like Wisconsin. Michigan State at Illinois. Illinois is favored by 16 points. That seems hefty, but like Michigan State doesn't have a run game, and Illinois' pass defense is incredible. Yeah. But so, I mean, I don't know if Michigan State, like, I don't see like how they can score points. They, I mean, I think Illinois is going to win. Yeah. Maybe not by 16, but. Yeah. Uh, Penn State at Indiana. Penn State. Penn State, yeah. yeah. Uh, under the varsity you're gonna, games, you're not going to go with the, your narrative that James Franklin sucks in games after losses. <laughs> no, Indiana's borderline Big Ten West, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> they literally. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, Ohio State is favored by 38 at Northwestern. Yeah, there should be a running clock for this game, like an actual. They they kick off and then the clock just doesn't stop running. Ohio State's third-string quarterback better get run, even though Ryan Day is the coach, because uh, this is going to be just a bloodbath. They won't put third-string in. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, Ohio State will win. I don't know why I put this in my notes right here, but um, I'll just say it right now. Um, it sounds like the Ohio State staff, Ryan Day and Brian Hartline, are both really confident that Jackson Smith and Jigbo will play again this season. I know some Ohio State fans have been worried that with the lingering injury he would pull a Nick Bosa and sit out the rest of the year and prepare for the NFL draft. But it sounds like Jackson Smith and Jigba is itching to get back on the field and wants to play, and it's something that they expect him to do. Mm, I hope that they're wrong. Yeah. Uh, Michigan is favored by 26.5 at Rutgers. Um, I'm glad they play Rutgers because I don't think Jamon Green is going to be playing. He got a concussion and more injuries after he got beat with a helmet. Uh, I hope he does play 
I just don't think he will. Uh, shouldn't be close, but maybe Rutgers will try to load up against Corum finally because it seems like teams are playing with a lot of too high safeties against yeah. Michigan for some reason. Yeah. Even though they are, they are perfectly fine, obviously, giving it to Corum 30 times a game. Right. Uh, Michigan should win by a lot. Yeah, I got Rutgers. No, I'm just kidding. Dang it. <laughs> I've got Michigan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, game of the week. This is the easiest game of the week we've had so far. Yeah. Number two, Tennessee at number one, Georgia. Georgia's favored by eight and a half here. First of all, what yeah. are the odds that both teams are still in the top four after this game, regardless of the result? I think it's pretty slim just because, like, I don't expect the college football playoff to put a one-loss SEC team in over Clemson, or and they, they, won't, they certainly won't be ahead of Ohio so you State think Michigan. Clemson will beat Notre Dame? That's the tough one. Maybe. I, also, we like, are recording this right before the first uh, playoff yeah, standings come out. So. Yeah, so, yeah, that's a factor, too. Like, we'll see what the rankings are tonight. But, um, yeah, because if they have Alabama real high, then I would. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they left both both in the top four. I wouldn't be surprised, but I, I really don't expect it. I don't think, I don't think it would go that yeah. way. Well, who do you who do you got to win? I really like the matchup for Tennessee. Tennessee's run defense is about the only thing good about their defense, and I think it helps them win because Stenson Bennett will not outplay Hennon Hooker. And Georgia's defense, if it had a weakness, would be their pass defense. They rake outside the top ten in pass defense and have only played one pass offense in the top eighty, and that was the twenty third best offense. Oregon in their first game of the season with a new quarterback and a new head coach. I just think that. Um, it's not that Georgia's pass defense is bad. They have a true they have a true freshman starting at free safety, but um Hennon Hooker has been so good in Hyatt, like I think I think they'll be able to pass the ball well on those guys and win the game forty one to thirty. Dang. Uh I wanna pick Tennessee, but I think Georgia gets it done at home. Yeah. I'm gonna say Georgia by four. Yeah, that's that's honestly the only thing that um made me hesitate to pick Tennessee is it's at Georgia and it's it's tough to win on the road, but yeah. I, think, I think they get it done. Uh, things no one is talking about. Does Oregon have a legit shot at making the playoffs as a one-loss team mm. and their only loss being to Georgia? They've lo- they've won seven straight since then. They did lose 49-3, to though, which is, I think, a factor. They've won seven, ga- well, seven games straight since then, and that, like I said, it was week one with the new head coach, new quarterback. Um, but they seem to have figured things out since then, scoring 40-plus points in every game. Yeah. After that, Not we'll see. First game, obviously. Yeah, uh, my thing. No one is talking about. I promise you, this is not to try to talk trash or anything. So don't get a group of friends and beat my brains in with a football helmet, Zach. But Ohio State is six for sixteen on third down against Penn State. Three, they were three of thirteen on third down against Iowa. So I'm I'm seriously not talking trash, but I'm wondering for myself about Ohio State's beatability. I'm looking for cracks yeah. in the foundation. Is all. Yeah. I mean. Play calling. <laughs> yeah. Which hopefully uh, they'll figure out. Well, hopefully not. Uh, tweet of the week. I have a few. I'm sorry. I keep doing this. Okay. Tweets of the week. I'll I'll do two, and then you can do one, and then okay. I'll go. So, from the official Michigan Daily Sports account, uh, defeated without dignity. It's the, the cover for their latest edition there. Uh, I'm glad they tweeted this so I don't have to drive to Ann Arbor, buy a copy, take a picture, and then tweet it out because this is perfect. If you didn't know, Zach, in 2016, Michigan beat MSU badly, and then MSU scored a couple times late to make it 
somewhat respectable Mm -hmm. in the final uh, tally there, but they still lost by by multiple scores. And their student newspaper's headline was Defeated with Dignity. (laughs) Just ridiculous. And then my next one is from Aaron Bills, Michigan's Director of Football Creative, which is a weird title. He's the graphics guy for Michigan football. And it's just keep chopping, Paul. Just keep chopping. There you go. Maybe that's where they got it from. I always wondered, like, keep chopping. Who cares? I guarantee it's not. But yeah, I mean, a, a lot of their stuff they do doesn't really make sense. That is correct. Yeah. What's your tweet of the week? Oh, my tweet of the week is from at Fake Urban. It is a Twitter account, parody account of Urban Meyer, which is hilarious. I don't know um, how bad it smells. <laughs> so the tweet is: Congratulations to Sean Clifford for becoming the all-time touchdown passing leader in Penn State history, and at the same time owning an 0-4 record against the Ohio State University. Penn State, your best quarterback of all time, never beat Ohio State. Dang. Uh, my last one, I should have a weekly at Blue tweet of the week, honestly. <laughs> uh, he said, Michigan now owns the most recent wins against Ohio State in basketball and football, the most recent wins against Michigan State in basketball and football, and has Paul Bunyan. The most recent win against Minnesota in football and has the jug and the most recent football win against Notre Dame. All of the rivals. I loved the Affleck trivia question from the Michigan's Michigan State game. Do you remember the answer? It was the question was um, when was the last time Michigan beat Ohio State and Michigan State in the same year? That's two thousand five. Two thousand three. Two thousand three. Crazy. Yeah. With that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go sniffing around Urban Meyer's fake account. Oh. You never know what you'll find. Go blue. Go Buckeyes. <laughs>